Our gospel reading this morning is from Luke chapter 14. One occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, Jesus told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the places of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, it's too bad that it clearly that most of you did not get the notice this week that there, there are special rewards that are underneath the first four pews right here in this section. Um, but the only way you can get the reward is if you sit there. It's just a shame. Maybe next time. <laughs> fear. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about t- um, fear. Do not be afraid. Repeat that after me. Do not be afraid. You may not know this, but um, several years ago, Pastor James was given an opportunity, incredible opportunity, to do a summer internship at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Because, as it turns out, um, Quasimodo, you know, the famous bell ringer of Notre Dame, he was in need of an assistant, and James was so excited, and I just thought, this is perfect for me, really great summer gig. But when they began to climb the Great Tower of Notre Dame, if you know James, you know that he's he's a little afraid of heights, and so he finally had to stop, confess to Quasimodo, sir, I I have agoraphobia, I'm afraid of heights, and... Quasimodo was very understanding, wasn't he? I mean, it was really just very sweet of him, as it turns out. And, and, but he did ask James to find someone else to ring the bell in his place. And so when he did, Quasimodo took the man up the bell tower and explained what he had to do. First, you have to take the rope and pull it way, way back, and as far as back as you possibly can, and then you let it go. But remember, and don't forget this, hear me, listen carefully, jump out of the way really quickly, as quickly as possible, or you're going to be knocked out of the tower uh, to your death by the bell. So the assistant, excited, took the rope, pulled it way, way back as far as he could, and he let it go. Quasimodo shouted, get out of the way, get out of the way. But alas, it was too late. The bell swung back, knocked the poor guy out of the tower and and into the square below. Well, James rushed down the stairs to the plaza where a crowd was already beginning to gather. He was so distressed, so sad, he kneeled over the body, began to weep. Did you know the man? Someone in the crowd asked him. No, Pastor James replied, but his face rings a bell. (laughs) Oh, I got booed at the 927 service for that joke. Can you believe that? I mean, that's just rude. 
fear. You know, it's the topic that we've been addressing these last three weeks in our sermons because, well, everybody struggles with fear. No matter where I've gone, I've yet to find someone who doesn't face some kind of anxiety or worry or or panic or fear. We all wrestle with these things. But the question then is, how do we deal with it? How do we overcome our fear? How do we live with courage in the face of our fears? Well, one thing is, is, uh, is, is important to remember is that fear is actually, as it turns out, hardwired into us. It's not that there's something defective in us. It's actually a gift from God. I mean, God has created us with the capacity to protect ourselves. And so, on the one hand, fear is a really good gift because it helps us to detect whenever there is a danger or threat that we have to respond to uh, accordingly. So, fear protects us and fear also saves us. And all creatures, as it turns out, who have these same defensive mechanisms. The challenge, of course, is, is, is that we have a tendency to fear things that we really don't have to be a afraid of. And, and oftentimes, that's because we exaggerate those things, the threat, and, and our brain tells our, our body that we've got to fight it, we've got to fight the threat, or maybe to flee the threat, the, the, the threat or, or freeze altogether. In the process of doing that, we find that we're overcome. Sometimes we even become paralyzed by, by things that we should not even be afraid of. So the question for us is, how do we overcome our fears with courage, with hope, and also with faith? There's so many stories in Scripture that talk about fear. It's remarkable how often that topic comes up in the Bible. One that I love is of the Israelites who have been set free from slavery in Egypt. I hope you know that story. If you don't, go back and read it. It's a critical part of the story of of Israel, of the Old Testament. Um, The people have been free from um, slavery in Egypt, and now they're on their own in the wilderness, and they're just two years in. Now, you know that their journey is going to be 40 years long. Shouldn't have been 40 years long. Come on. The time it takes to to walk from Egypt to what would be known as the Promised Land is only about six weeks, but it took them 40 years. But in this particular journey, they're two years in, and they're a mile away from the Promised Land, and and they're excited. This Promised Land is, is what they have been hearing is a land that is filled with milk and honey, far different than the desert that they've been walking through the last two years. And this particular land was surrounded by a a large wall. The city was surrounded by a wall. So they send in spies into this promised land. And two of them return and say, it's great. This place is awesome. It's wonderful. We can do this. But 10 of them return and say, ain't no way, no way, huh? I mean, we look like grasshoppers, and the people there, they look like giants. Well, who do you think the people of Israel listen to? They listen to the 10. And tragically, they would spend 38 more years paralyzed by their fear, just one mile from the promised land, just one mile away. Think about how many times we've been afraid of things in our lives. You fret about them, you worry about them, you stress over them. Maybe something this very moment, like likely there are folks here who are at some real heightened level or just sort of a minimal level are afraid of something or anxious about something. And, and yet we know, don't we, even as we walk into this place that that we will hear over and over again in Scripture and Word and liturgy and song, over and over again we hear God say or Jesus say words in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Psalms, the Gospels, everywhere. This phrase, you know what it is, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. Repeat that for me. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with me. And raise your hand if you believe it. 
Come on, yeah, I'm sure most of us um, believe those words. Do I do with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and yet fear is real. And for some reason, it's hard to overcome. Who remembers walking into uh, the middle school cafeteria for the first time? I do, as it turns out, because it filled me with terrible anxiety, I have to say, confession. Now, I went to a very large middle school called Irmo Middle School. It was outside of Columbia, South Carolina. And now in elementary school, um, you had assigned seats, not anxious at all. You'd go to the same seat every week. Your teacher told you exactly where you sat, and that's exactly where you sit. But in middle school, you're on your own, totally on your own. And the line to receive your food was in one entirely separate room. And then you'd step into this enormous room with enormously tall ceilings and loaded with tables and people and noise. And you had to figure out in seconds flat where you're going to sit, which means that my middle school brain had to quickly process a ton of questions. Where, where are my friends? Where's a good place to sit? Where's the wrong place to sit? What will people think of me if I sit with this person? What will people think of me if I sit with, with that person? So much fear and anxiety. All these decisions have to be made in seconds. And it just made me anxious. There's a classic story that Jesus tells that you've just heard from Luke chapter 14 that tells the exact same story. Jesus He's invited to a meal at the home of the leader of the Pharisees. And while there, he noticed that how the guests chose to sit in the place, in the places of honor. They've gotten their food. They've entered into the room. Maybe they haven't gotten there. They've entered in the room and and all of a sudden they're going to make decisions. Where should I sit? Places of honor, places of dishonor. Near the, near the host or not near the host. Near a friend or not near a friend. Near a place where they're, they're people of importance or not. All these things they have to decide very quickly. So Jesus tells this parable. When you're invited by someone to a banquet, do not sit at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who's invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then in humiliation you take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, hey, move up higher. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Because as it turns out, Uh, All who exalt themselves, they're going to be humbled. Those who humble themselves, however, they will be exalted. You see what's happened, right? I mean, I've just repeated the, the gospel reading that we've shared already. It's middle school all over again. I mean, people arrive at the banquet. They immediately are evaluating what's the best seat. Who's the most important person to sit next to? Who's going to have the most interesting conversation? Where are my friends? Where are my enemies? Decisions have to be made quickly or you'll lose the seat that you, that you hope to sit in. You'll miss out. And boy, is that one of the biggest fears of all. Fear of missing out. FOMO. Who's ever had FOMO? Fear of missing out. <laughs> sure, most of us have. To which Jesus says, chill You look at it, it's right there in your bulletin. Jesus says those words, chill. It's in a different language, so you might not recognize it because it's not in English. But Jesus, I promise you, is saying, chill, people. Come on now. Stop worrying about whether you've been invited to the right party or, or whether you're sitting at the right table. And stop doing what everyone else does. Instead, you be different. That's why we know that Jesus is from Rowan County. Be original, right? <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Those of you who are keeping up, sit at the lowest place, Jesus says, which means focus less on self 
and more on conforming to uh, focus less on self, less on conforming to others, less on your perceived reward, and focus more on honor, more on mission, more on serving, more on ideals. Wouldn't this world be a different place if we focused less on self, less on conforming, less on our perceived reward? There's a great story about the time that God called Abraham. Now, Abraham, as you might recall, is the... uh, is widely known as the father of our faith, actually the father of three faiths, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. God's first words to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12 are these. Interesting. They've never had a conversation before this, direct conversation that's recorded in the Bible. And so the first words God says to Abraham are these, leave your country, leave your land, your birthplace. Now keep these three in mind. Leave your land, your birthplace, and your father's house and go to the land that I show you. Why? Because God knows that people conform. It's in our nature. We, we adopt the standards and absorb the culture of the time and the place in which we live. What God called your land, leave your land. We're also deeply influenced by friends and neighbors, which is why God said, leave your birth." Place. But like, likewise, we're, we're deeply still shaped by our parents and the home in which we grew up, which is why God said, leave your father's house. I want you, says God to Abraham, I want you to be different, not just for the sake of being different, but for the sake of starting something new. Now, God knew that Abraham is going to actually start a new religion. That's not the language that he used, of course. That's not what Abraham understood to be, it to be, and yet that's exactly what would come, come together, a religion that will not worship power and the symbols of power. That was how they thought of things in, in those days. That was the dominant structure of not just of religious but also of political power, of social hierarchy in those days, how, how they worship power and the symbols of power, what we would later know as idols. I want you you, God says, to teach your children and your children's children to follow the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, direct quote from Genesis 18, which is precisely what Jesus was getting at in the parable that he told. I mean, so often we make our decisions by looking through the lens of power, influence, and reputation. Whether we're stepping into a middle school cafeteria or whether we're making decisions about what party to attend or what vocation to pursue, we are looking through one set of lenses, power, influence, reputation. What will it do to me? How will I and my power, my influence, my reputation be affected by the decision I make? When we do, we end up caring more about the symbols, the trappings, the idols, the stuff of influence and power more than anything else. After a while, it just consumes us, it drives us, it controls us, which ends up creating all kinds of anxiety and stress and what? Fear. But you, Jesus says, refocus your attention away from reward and toward honor, away from power and toward service. Exercise humility, writes C.S. Lewis, not by thinking less of yourself, but by thinking of yourself less. It's interesting. You see, during Abraham's life, 
The dominant architectural symbols were the pyramids of Egypt. That is not by accident. It was a very strong statement that, that the Egyptians were making, or at least the rulers of Egypt were making. These were classic symbols, these pyramids. We just saw them as pretty cool things architecturally and otherwise. Wow, how did that come together 2,000 years before B.C.? But what they were were classic symbols of great power and strong statements of a hierarchical social order wide at the base narrow at the top, because you see at the top was the king or the pharaoh at the point exactly so it believed where heaven and earth met. Beneath were the elites, beneath them were the laboring masses. It was believed to be not just one way of organizing society, but the only way of organizing society. The very universe was organized by this very same principle. The lion ruled the animal kingdom. The, the king ruled the nation. Rulers rose above those they ruled. It's a hierarchy that forces the world to look through the lens of power and wealth and influence, not as a way of organizing society, but as the only way, which meant which means that it's the only lens that we're given to look through, the only one. But God said to Abraham, give your children a different lens. Bless them with a different lens. Teach them to follow the way of the Lord by always doing what is right and just and compassionate to one another. In other words, be a counter voice in the conversation with humankind, that conversation that is always happening around us in the, in the halls of power, but, but also in just gentle conversations in our neighborhoods and families. Be a counter voice in the conversation with humankind, remembering that every human being, not just the king, but every human being is the image and likeness of God. Jesus said the exact same thing. Rather than obsessing on the seats of honor and privilege, you sit at the lower place. Why? So that you can spend your time celebrating that you've been invited to the banquet in the first place. And then, Jesus says in verse 12, take a look. This is beautiful because this is a serious paradigm shift. Then you, when you host a banquet, don't invite your friends or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. That's not the system I want for you. But when you give a banquet, radical hospitality must be your charge. Invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite the blind, because guess what? They cannot repay you. And reward will not be your motive So, you know as well as I that we face a lot of pressure to be accepted, to be included, to be noticed, to not be overlooked, to pay so that we might be repaid, to give so that we might receive. It's a vicious cycle that ends up creating so much fear and anxiety within us, every one of us. Jesus today, in this scripture reading, is offering you a gift no, yeah, it's a, this is a total paradigm shift, which means it's a total different way of looking at the world. But uh, today, I just want you to think of this as a specific gift for you to look at this world through a set of lenses that will not create fear, but joy, not stress, but hope. That's the gift 
Jesus wants to give you, a life that really is life, a life of abundance, of hope, of love, and of joy. And he also wants you to remember something. Jesus invites us today to remember and to never forget that we have been invited to a feast. In our clamoring for position, we oftentimes forget that great gift. You and I have been invited to a feast, a feast that has no end, a feast whose host is God himself, in whose image you have been created, who knew you before you were in, in your mother's womb, who gave his very life so that you would have a seat at this banquet. So welcome. Welcome. Amen.